and welcome to The Double Pivot, the world's most agreeable soccer analytics podcast. I am Michael Cayley. If you have been listening to these podcasts on the subscription Musa Dembele level, you already know this. If you have not, let me tell you the exciting news. I am joined by Mike Goodman in my kitchen, and we are going to talk about something that, like, a little while ago, we talked about the idea that the table was sort of not lying to us, that the best teams in the Premier League were basically at the top. The worst teams in the Premier League were basically at the bottom. There were a few little hiccups around the middle, like Fulham a little bit too high, Bournemouth a little bit too high, you know, Liverpool a little bit too low, whatever. Uh, but now that has sort of evolved a bit because Leeds have gone and taken one point from their last five matches. And it has also evolved a bit at the top of the table as Chelsea and Manchester United keep getting like a fair number of results. They drew each other this this last week and they've they've had some other draws as well. But like the aggregates are not yet picking up for Chelsea and United the way we expect them to. I kind of want to put a pin in Chelsea United and come back around to that because we're dealing with smaller samples as they are, you know, Ten Hag is is changing his team. Uh, Potter is coming into Chelsea. There have been some injuries. There have been so, some signings coming in. I want to hang on to the question of exactly how much are we worried about Chelsea and United and just talk about Leeds because they are now uh, in the relegation places. Jesse March is under some threat. The vibes among Leeds fans just seem absolutely suicidal. And they have the same number of expected goals and expected goals conceded over 11 matches. Yeah. Hello, everybody. So here's where I think I want to start. I think there are pretty clearly... I think it's pretty clear which the three worst teams in the Premier League are. And and I think two of them are in 20th and 19th in, in Nottingham Forest and Wolves. And I think the third one is pretty clearly Bournemouth in, in 14th place in, in the table. And you can look at fancy stats or you can look at the fact that they have negative 15, negative 13, and negative 15 goal difference and nobody else is in double digits, right? This is not rocket science. I think it's pretty clear when you just look at the goal scored and conceded right now who the three worst teams in the in the Premier League are. And so when you look then at the fact that Bournemouth is has three wins and is in 14th, despite that goal difference, which a lot of which comes from, you know, having nine hung, hung on them by Liverpool. But again, we have talked a lot about how you can't just ignore those one game things. It's like a running theme of the podcast. But so what once that happens, then somebody has to be in 18th place. And it happens to be Leeds. But there are like five or six teams in this group of teams that it could be. Leeds, Leicester, Southampton, Villa, who just changed their manager, Palace, Brentford, maybe Everton, maybe in in, in that group, right? And, And like any one of those teams could have just been the most unlucky from that group and ended up in 18th. And it is Leeds who have sort of drawn the short end of that of, of that group of straws. That doesn't mean Leeds is a good team, right? You have to be like a not very good team to be in that mix. Um, so I, I don't know what we say about that other than like Leeds is not good, but they're not this bad. 
Yeah, and so, you know, Leeds have played uh, a relatively easy schedule over the course of the rest of the season. It, it'll it'll probably come back down a little bit. It's, 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 not, it's, not, it's not too far off. Um, another part of this is that uh, posted about this uh, last, last week— and uh, West Ham were also in. It was it was West Ham in seventeenth and Leeds in eighteenth, and uh, but West Ham then played another game and they won, and so West Ham have now played twelve games and have fourteen points and are mid table, and Leeds played eleven games. If you what 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 one very important note here is that all of the teams around Leeds at the bottom of the table have played twelve games except for Leeds, and were Leeds to win one game, they would jump to fifteenth. Like, one thing that's going on here also is, like, there's six points separating 20th and 9th in the table right now. Like, now part of that is the, as you were saying, that the the 12 versus 11 games played dynamic going on here. But part of it is just, like, all of that is very compressed. And I think because of the way the world works, when you are the team in a given week now that is ending up in 18th, there is a lot more like your bad vibes than if you had two points more and were in thirteenth, right? Like that's just that's just the way the world works, right? Like it seemed pretty clear that Nottingham Forest are one of the worst teams in the league, but Nottingham Forest only need to run hot for a little bit, and you know jump themselves out of this position. Like, the, re- the relegation race is still exceptionally wide open. And so, you know, Jesse March's leads are, they are what you think they are. They have, um, they, they're, they're one of the highest pressing teams in the Premier League. Uh, you know, the only two teams with the lower uh, pass completion percentage against are Chelsea and Liverpool. And, of course, Chelsea and Liverpool, uh, you know, they are, they're press and possess teams. Liverpool have completed 5,700 passes at 81%. Chelsea have completed 5,500 passes at 83%. And Leeds have completed 4,000 passes at 76%. Like, they are a classically, like, German-pressing team that seek to create a lot of chaos and seek to stop you from, uh, you know, stop you very early in in, in your buildup. And they've basically been successful doing this like they haven't been great this is a team that i think that the the, the def- it's just not a great defensive team full stop but like the thing that makes it really hard for me to take anything from this in particular is that like 2 weeks ago they kind of beat up arsenal they just took the press to them and broke up all of the stuff that Arsenal have been doing to every single other team in the Premier League and in the Europa League all season. And they didn't finish. You know, this is a huge part of this story, is that Patrick Bamford has... uh, Usually you'd go with non-penalty expected goals here. He's got a little over three non-penalty expected goals and hasn't scored. But he also had a penalty this week (laughs) and, and missed it. And so, or, well, he, he has also, he's also had yeah, a penalty recently and missed it. And so he is also at four expected goals without a single goal scored. And so they got Bamford back. They're getting more shots from that position and getting no goals. And like, you know, Bamford is not a plus finisher on his career, but he's not a zero finisher right. on his career. That doesn't exist. Yeah, so a couple of things here. I think, first, it is just always telling when a team is bad 
or playing badly or not getting results and the reaction from fans is we can't score goals and like that is that is both the feels worst way to lose and also sort of big picture the least concerning way to lose if you're just missing good shots and that's why you're losing that even with Patrick Patrick Bamford will change on its own Uh, and Patrick Bamford is like historically one of the worst finishing strikers you can kind of find around but like that just means being like 15% under XG at an extreme level. Not like he could be one goal better and be 75% under XG. Like that's, so that's that's certainly part of it and it just it feels bad, but that is the most classic this thing will improve on its own thing. The second thing here vibes wise that I want to hit is it is true this is this is a very rb style aggressive defending will win the ball in midfield or clear it off the line approach that also feels bad when it doesn't work that also when it breaks down you give up a very good chance I would maybe even argue that like the chances you give up when that breaks down are somewhat better than XG might predict. And so you can sort of make the case that defensively that impacts numbers a little bit. I, I you know, it's always sort of more art than science and guesswork. But I think there's there's an argument you can make there. But when you are a good defensive team or a competent defensive team because you pack it in and you concede 22 shots and one of them gets deflected and finds the corner, you feel unlucky. When you are a decent defensive team because you press in midfield and attack the ball and once a game they get through, like through, through on goal, you feel like you're bad. And I do not think it just breaks down cleanly that way. And I just sort of think that, like, given how leads are playing now, it's reasonable to think their results will improve. Now, there's no guarantee that they will continue to play as they are playing now. One thing that can happen when you lose a lot of games, even when you're becoming okay, even when you're okay, is that you start to play worse. One of the hardest things to do as a manager is to keep your level of performance high when the results are not going your way. When everything feels like you need to be doing something different, to not do something different. And to keep the same level of commitment, the same level of performance on the field that you have had. And like manage like better managers than Jesse Marsh have faced that challenge and failed it. Right, Better managers than him have gone through a period like this and then play deteriorates and then you get fired rightfully. So it's not a guarantee that you just stick with Marsh and keep doing this, but there are not signs yet that the play is deteriorating. Yeah, I mean, like, you can just go back over the history of Marcelo Bielsa at Leeds for this because they stuck with Bielsa in the championship when they kept not getting promoted with sides that they spent quite a bit of money on 
and that were playing incredibly good football and kept, like, the bounce would go the, ro- the wrong way once. And they kept it up for three seasons yep. at that level until they got promoted. And then they had that great season when they got promoted. They were, like, a you know, mid-table team. They were crazy. It was wild. And then last season, Bielsa had them just kept doing the thing he wanted them to do, even as his defense and his one central midfielder were out. Yep. And their uh, chances, they, 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 there was like a finishing fluke in there. Their, 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 their goal difference was like truly horrific when their expected goal difference was merely very, very bad. Right. <laughs> but it was still very, very bad because they were continuing to play Bielsa's man-marking press without players at the center of the defense and the center of the midfield who could who, who could fix anything when that man-marking press went wrong. One thing I look at when I'm looking at this team, if I were to worry about leads, I think one of the biggest things I'm worried about is whether they have any answer for an injury to either Rocca or Adams. Rocca and Adams have been really excellent this season. Yeah. And, like, it's a it's very obvious when you watch them play the way that both of them are good enough defensively and good enough passing that you could, if either one picks up, either one has to make a play defensively, they usually can. Either one of them has to make a forward pass as part of this press. Obviously, it's a very aggressive uh, possession. Mo- both of them can. But— you want Raka making the pass, and you want Adams making the stop, and they're they're balancing each other very well, while also each producing quite a bit at what is not their central skill. It's a really nice pairing, and they've both basically been fit all season, and like it's not obvious that you could get the same out of whatever their next backup midfielder is. And if something goes wrong there, I could really see this like. This team that I'm saying is fine right now could become not fine pretty quickly. Yeah, and I guess the other question here is we shouldn't analyze this in a vacuum. It's possible that the talent on this team could perform at a higher level than Jesse Marsh has them performing at. And and then, you know, you run bad and you run bad two points better or, or, or whatever. I don't have a solid grasp on what the talent in total on leads is at all. And it's because they come up with Bielsa, the style is so unique, the the acquisitions are to fit the style. They up obviously they upgrade talent when they come up to the Premier League. They were they upgrade talent at the championship to become one of the most talented championship players by the teams by the time they are promoted under Bielsa. They then upgrade talent again at the Premier League level, but it's very stylized, right? And Jesse Marsh is very stylized. So I don't have like a real grasp on if you wanted to fire Jesse Marsh and, and bring in I, I don't even know who. Dean Smith? Let's say Dean Smith. What that team looks like and how good it is. Would it be worse by XG? Would it be better? I have a hard time imagining it would obviously be better. But I can't rule it out completely. Like, this is, it is a very interesting question here about what a team that has been in, in now a second heavily stylized system for five, going on six years at this point, would look like in a less extreme system with the talent on the team. And I, I really don't know. 
Yeah, and in particular, the way that they have targeted in attack, they they have, and and I think that my my feeling has been, especially with Daniel James and to a lesser but real extent with Brendan Aronson, that they overpaid for players who are no not bad players. Aronson has been solid this season, like you know, 0.37 xG and xA per ninety from a twenty two year old winger in a like not great attacking team. That that's solid, but it's a lot of money for a player where the big thing he brings to the table is an incredible amount of defensive work rate. And, like, most teams don't need to pay a lot for defensive work rate on the wings. And they've got a team that's just full of guys who work really hard who in attack. And I don't know what—if you've got guys like that, I think that if you're not sort of pressing high, you're leaving something on the table. The question is whether their defense is— would just be better if they weren't under as much stress, whether Raka and Adams, like, they kind of look like they could just play in whatever system. Yeah, that, that that's sort of what, like, my question is, like, you might just have, like, a really good midfield pairing here that in a more traditional system can control games in a way that Leeds never, ever wants to do. Um, the other thing here, right, like, that I, I do think that that might be a somewhat more compelling argument if they still had Rafinha, who I think we both think for the price tag is somewhat overrated and blah, 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 but is like a very good traditional attacking winger. So like if you had him, then you could maybe play like a very, like a much more traditional system. And it's like, well, we can control games and Rafinha can do a thing of magic every once in a while. And that, that gets you there without Rafinha. They have, I mean, they brought in Aronson and they brought in Sinestra and, those guys are also like unique talent extremes to fit a unique talent system. And like, obviously the easiest way out of where they are for leads is if Jesse Marsh can keep this team together and keep them performing to a a, a decent level. And then the results will, will improve. I would be legitimately concerned that he can't. And if he can't, how do you replace him with this roster and not, get worse and then you're saying okay which way of getting worse is better and that is not a good place to be as a team yeah and i think that like this one of the really important soft skills of a manager because the thing is that like variants can take you out for a long time in football there's just nothing you can do about it. the bounces will just not go your way and, like, there's not a manager in the world who hasn't had five games where the bounces didn't go their way the exact way that they have these last five matches for leads. And what allows a good manager to keep going is that they have the soft skills to convince the players that they should keep doing this and that they should remain bought in to playing this way. And, like, I, playing like leads do is, is you know, not fun (laughs) like these guys are killing themselves out there and to be killing yourself out there for no results is tough at the same time as a manager you have to be able to either believe in what you're doing and say you know this is working we will keep doing it or have be able to see something that can be tweaked and can be adjusted to make this work a little bit better. And you have to combine that and get the players to buy in. And that is eventually what comes to be regression to the mean. But it is not an easy thing to do 
to allow regression to the mean to happen so that leads stay in the Premier League. Yeah, I once talked to like a, a college basketball coach, right? And what what he told me, not 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 a like an assistant coach at, at a smallerish program, and and what he told me was like, okay, it's relatively easy to say we want to let that shooter beat us by hitting threes. That guy's not a particularly good shooter. We want to rotate off him. We want to sag off him. If he takes threes, that's that's the desired outcome for us. It's a lot harder to do that when that guy hits his first two threes. And the number of coaches that will then adjust when they shouldn't to take that away is way too high. But also... The number of players who will continue to believe in a coach who doesn't make that adjustment is fairly low. And being able to walk that line as a coach is very difficult to do. And like, I don't know, I do not really think there's much from Jesse Marsh's career that would argue that he clearly has that ability. I mean, like, this is a guy who comes in Europe from Salzburg where they have a tremendous talent edge so this is never really an issue and then doesn't ever really fight his way out of that at, at Leipzig so I I mean I he got sacked in exactly this situation at Leipzig uh, pretty close to this yeah I there were I think there were other issues there because there was actually an underlying disagreement about the style which has led to sort of a, a, a funny uh it's a the Leipzig story is very funny, right? Because they fire Marsh, and then they say nice things about him, and they're like, "Well, he wanted to play the Red Bull style, which is what we had hired him for." But Nagelsmann, his predecessor, had evolved the team to play differently, and these guys are not prepared to play that way. And like, that's nice enough, but like, it's Marsh's job to know that, and he doesn't. And so, but then they bring in Tedesco, who plays a different way, and he lasts. He's gone already. I mean, he's gone a year later, right? He's gone by now. And they were okay under him last year, although a lot of it, again, from Leeds to Tedesco was kind of just regression. And then this year they were bad. But then when they get rid of Tedesco, they go and bring in Marco, uh, Marco Rosa, who is like the most RB of RB managers stylistically you can find. And again, also went from Salzburg to Gladbach. And so, I mean, I don't know what Leipzig are doing in that way, but it, I suspect Rosa's going to be fine there because he's probably a better manager than Marsh in terms of the stuff, like getting buy-in and all of this stuff. But also, Marco Rosa's right-hand man from Gladbach is our friend Renny Marich, who's at Leeds now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you put all that together and... I think the bottom line here is that there really hasn't been all that much wrong with Leeds' performances to date. But going through a stretch when you have okay performances and poor results is a stress test. And there's just no guarantee you pass the stress test. Like, if I had to put my money on something, it would be yes, they'll pass the stress test. They have been playing fine. Things will probably be fine. This Leeds ownership has, you know, if anything, they stuck with Bielsa much longer than you would have thought. Yeah, but part of that, right, is that Bielsa has this 
buy-in. I mean, first of all, he's got this mythos. But then second of all, he has this buy-in from Leeds fandom in a way that it took a long time of poor results for like the fans to be like, maybe we should do something else. And quite obviously, Jesse Marsh, despite doing enough to save them from relegation last season, doesn't have that. And And it's not at all clear to me that management's stick to with Bielsa was like manage, management style as opposed to sort of fan, like like reading the way the wind was blowing with public opinion. So we will see what happens with Leeds. They're playing, you know, they're playing RB football. They're playing it pretty well. And either... What we've seen from Marsh in the past is that it definitely seems like his response to RB football not working out exactly well is going to be to try to RB even harder. You know, he's he's got a way that he plays. He's got a system that he, he makes people play that system. And it should continue to work, you know, unless bounces don't go their way, unless some injuries don't go their way, unless there are issues with maintaining the buy-in from ownership and players and fans— and then things could go wrong. That's our podcast. I, before we get out of here, I want to do one more thing, which is this. They have four matches to go until the break. Liverpool, Bournemouth, Wolves, Tottenham. I think it's just sort of pretty clear where we're going to be by the time the World Cup hits, one way or the other. And even if they aren't playing badly by then, if they haven't gotten points against Bournemouth and Wolves, like, kind of that's it. If they get three to four points from those three league games and they beat Wolves so they're still in the cup, like I, I, I think that that probably gets you through the crisis if you're Marsh. But if you get less than that, like I think that's probably it would be my guess. All right, well, I mean, it's, a, it's a small number of games with a ton of variance, and there's a fairly good chance that uh, our beloved American manager, Jesse Marsh, is... Uh, don't, get, don't get unlucky against Bournemouth is kind of the thing. <laughs> That's the lesson of football. All right. Well, we will be back with uh, more podcasts. If you are uh, looking at patreon.com slash double pivot, there are a bunch of options up there for you. You can see something about Steven Gerrard, something about Rafael Leao, and a little bit coming up about Europe. Cheers, y'all. Cheers.